30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Hello and welcome to yet another quarantine transmission from this podcast as a ritual. I'm your wizard, Devin Person, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it feels like we're entering a weird liminal space right now, almost as if we're in between worlds. After sheltering in place for all of April, pre-quarantine life seems like a distant dream. Some states are starting to reopen but no one really knows if that's such a good idea. So we're either approaching the light at the end of the tunnel or walking straight into a second wave. Oh, and it's spring. Now, throughout this whole process, it's been tricky trying to speak to a general audience. Even though, as the brands desperately want to remind us, we're in this together, everyone's together is slightly different. Some people are completely isolated battling loneliness and discovering new dimensions of self-sufficiency, while others are hunkered down with lovers, friends, roommates, family, extended family, testing the limits of strained social dynamics in tight quarters. But as I puttered about my own apartment this week, tidying up and doing dishes while wondering what I should podcast about, I realized we're all participating in these routines, the domestic chores we perform in infinite loops. Many of us could describe our days using only animated gifts of these repeated actions, the daily rituals of waking up, cooking food, doing dishes, and settling back into bed to go to sleep and do it all over again. Under normal circumstances, most of us prefer to chart the narratives of our lives using external indicators, with social gatherings and anticipated events serving as the primary plot points. But as those references have fallen by the wayside, we're left with the perpetual deja vu of doing the dishes yet again. And yet, there's magic here. Powerful magic indeed. Which is why today, I figured it was high time we talk about how to do the dishes. Bill dropped his keys on the counter and stood there staring at them, suddenly thinking about all the times he'd thrown his keys there before, and how many days of his life were wasted, repeating the same tasks and rituals in his apartment over and over again. But then he wondered if, realistically, this was his life, and the unusual part was his time spent doing other things. That was a clip from Don Hertzfeldt's It's Such a Beautiful Day, which is a sublime animated film meditating on the sad, surreal, and mundane moments of ordinary existence. That image in particular has stayed with me since I first saw it years ago, the principal character Billy flipping light switches, brushing his teeth, using the bathroom, and yes, doing the dishes. 
of all the little loops that make up our lives, I find dishes to be particularly fascinating. Dishes spend all of their time in five distinct stages. They are either resting silently in the cabinet, being used, dirty, being washed, or drying. If you look around your living space or visit your kitchen, I have little doubt that your own dishes will be occupying one or more of these quantum states. Some of you might use dishwashers, which come with their own subroutines of loading and unloading, but personally, I prefer the manual method. There's something special about knowing that every dish passes through my hands, gets dunked in a soapy baptismal rite, before moving on to the next stage of its circuitous existence. And I think it's nice sharing a little quality time with the objects we cohabitate with, the co-stars and our daily domestic soap operas. We call them possessions and think of them as things, but dishes are really more like companions, entering our lives, sharing countless meals with us, and then departing in one manner or another, whether that's being boxed up to sit in a goodwill until a new group of travelers takes them on, or the dreaded accident the tumble from the overflowing drying rack to the floor that lowers their status from cherished coffee mug to chipped porcelain planter. The difference between object and artifact could be thought of as one of understanding and awareness. Think about your own dishes and ask yourself, where did these come from? How did they come to be in my life, to sit in my cabinets? Do you have a single set, all uniform? purchased in one fell swoop from bed, bath, and beyond? Or is your collection an accumulation, an assortment of plastic cups and mismatched forks and that one bowl that's best for cereal because it's larger than all the rest? I live with my fiancé, so considering the contents of my own cabinets almost feels like walking into a house party. There's a few old friends I could tell you stories about, some casual acquaintances I can easily recognize, and then a wide swath of strangers, friends of my fiancé who I don't really know what their deal is or how they ended up in my house. But, just like a real party, I know the disorder they all invite. Left to their own devices, dishes prefer to be linear. It's we humans that force them into our own little loops. Without intention and intervention, dishes enjoy streaming out of the cabinets and into dirty piles, overflowing the sink and colonizing the counter space. Years ago, I lived in a punk house with two roommates who were pathologically opposed to doing dishes. I remember entering the kitchen one night to find them eating soup with measuring teaspoons because all the soup spoons were dirty and the idea of washing one hadn't crossed their mind. It was entropy at its finest. The neat stacks and sorted silverware of a clean kitchen reduced to raw chaos and food-caked clutter. We think of chores like doing the dishes as rituals or routines, but I think they're more like rhythms. Just as every moment of our lives finds us somewhere in the cycle of breath, be that inhaling, exhaling, or resting at a point in between, our dishes pulse between their various life stages. When we interrupt that rhythm, the ecosystem falls out of equilibrium. Cabinets stand empty, the sink a polluted pond of greasy gray water, and our ability to rest food upon a clean surface severely impaired. Which brings us to the true magical power 
of doing the dishes. It is transformative. A single session of determined washing will right wrongs, restore order to chaos, and return our living spaces to proper functionality. Washing dishes changes one's reality. And that's the whole point of magic, isn't it? Setting aside the loftier sorts of spiritual communion, which I'd file under mysticism, magic concerns itself with the manipulation of the material world in accordance with one's will. Normally, we reserve magic for events on a more macro level. We seek to improve our affairs in regards to career, love, creative pursuits, or personal glory. So we enact a symbolic rite with appropriate accompanying actions to move the flow of our being in the desired direction. And yet doing the dishes accomplishes much of the same. Tolerance for an untidy kitchen varies, as my teaspoon soup sipping former roommates can attest to, but I've found that the magical maxim, as above, so below, as without, so within, applies perfectly to doing dishes. If I'm trying to build momentum to get my day started or jump into a creative task, dishes present a clear, quantifiable win, an easy opening ceremony through which I can engage the act of transformation. Because unlike other chores, dishes are more or less finite. There are a countable number of dirty dishes, and once they're all washed, the job is done. This stands in marked contrast to the infinite subtleties of sweeping the floor, where the little dust line keeps getting smaller, but there will forever be at least a few more particles that could be swept into the pan. Or the cognitive challenge of tidying up more generally, which requires one to reflect on which objects go where, whether this mail consists of sacred documents or undesirable junk, and where to place that book you've stopped reading but aren't quite ready to return to the shelf. But dishes, dishes know exactly where they're going. Through the water, into the rack, and back into the cabinet. Around and around and around they go. Just as our lungs pump air in and out, our cabinets and drawers exhale clouds of clinking cups and plates. Our sinks gargle them in big soapy gulps, and drying racks invite endless games of Jenga, seeking the perfect balance for our towering piles of recently washed artifacts. And what I think is beautiful is that we all play this game in one way or another. Even if doing the dishes isn't our personal responsibility, if we've foisted it upon a loving partner or parent or paid servant, and whether that's an intentional arrangement or one born of insouciance and incompetence, it's still a process in which we all partake. Unless you're eating off the floor or using paper plates, both habits I'd ask you to consider more carefully, you're a participant in the dishes perpetual cycle of clean and cabinet, under food, dirty, being washed, drying. One of the intriguing side effects of quarantine is how it has altered the ways in which we perceive celebrity. Rather than only witnessing the carefully choreographed presentations in front of the studio camera, as well as the odd, unflattering paparazzi Polaroid, we now see celebs dialing in for video chats using the same laptops and phones as everyone else. And unlike MTV's Cribs, which featured rappers in rented mansions posing in front of staged fantasy refrigerators overflowing with Cristal, our sheltered-in-place celebs are often revealed to be in homes 
more mundane than mansion-esque. Not that they don't have excessive square footage and stunning views, I'm sure they do, but seeing Jimmy Fallon tape The Tonight Show from his living room, it's clear that his house is a house with its own set of dishes, perpetually needing to be washed, much like our own. Which brings us back to magic. Ever since I first read about Grant Morrison summoning a demon, I've looked through guides and grimoires trying to understand how magic rituals fit into our everyday routines. How do you take your consecrated bath when your roommate needs to use the room to brush their teeth? What do we do when the astrologically ideal hour required for our ritual falls on the same time as a previously scheduled family phone call? How do our most fantastic, otherworldly rituals root themselves in the soil of our daily lives and mundane routines? There's an old Zen story about a young student who, after being subjected to the monotonous chores of monastery life, asks the abbot how one goes beyond these dreary tasks and achieves enlightenment. To which the abbot replies, Before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. Before quarantine, after quarantine, and all the weird times in between, do dishes. Magic is not a means to avoid the mundane, but rather to imbue the mundane with meaning. This doesn't mean that every time you scrape dried mac and cheese off a plate, you need to treat it as a holy meditation, but the option to do so is always there. Our lives exist within these rhythms, but it's up to each of us to decide when we want to dance. <laughs>